0: Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks, and welcome to episode 246 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. In my last podcast, I was discussing the more serious honeybee diseases, AFB and EFB. This time, it's the turn of the not so tricky pests and diseases, such as chalk brood and wax moth, but also possibly the biggest threat to our colonies, the varroa mite. short and sweet. A beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, I'm back from my travels. Welcome once more to the podcast. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I was off to see Beth, my youngest daughter, over in Pennsylvania. Well, I'm back and have returned with a dose of the COVID virus. I know the rules have changed, but I've been isolating and generally keeping myself to myself all week and over the weekend. I arrived back on Valentine's Day, would you believe? And I think I was probably the unwitting spreader of the virus on the plane. Sorry to all my fellow travellers, but it just shows you how easy it is for these things to move around. I had a fantastic time in the States. My thanks to Linda, one of my longtime Patreon supporters, who travelled over two and a half hours to meet up with me at the Daydent store in a place called Williamsport. It's about an hour from the spot where I was staying at. I have to say, on arrival, I was a little disappointed. It was a pretty big warehouse with oh such a tiny showroom and not really that much on display unfortunately. The disappointment was quickly dispelled though as we had a great time chatting with Linda about all things beekeeping and I even managed to make a couple of small purchases while I was there. I don't think that's where I picked up the Covid bug though. Later in the day we travelled to a massive outdoor sports and hobbies event, hunting, shooting and fishing kind of thing those were the primary focus of the show, but there were also some very impressive camper trailer type of caravan things, some massive trucks, and my particular favourite, bear claw popcorn. It turns out no animals were harmed in its creation. Instead, the popcorn is coated with, and I quote, caramel, milk and dark chocolate, peanut butter, and cashews. It's only 130 calories per serving, but the serving size appears to be one piece of popped corn. Oh well, the diet will have to wait a week or two. Enough though of my travels and popcorn, let's get back to the beekeeping. I've been amazed and slightly concerned at the sudden rise in temperatures this week. Last night, the overnight temperatures didn't really drop below double digits, 10 degrees Celsius that's about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Remember, that's the overnight temperature. Daytime has seen 14 degrees Celsius and I had a call from one farmer who said the bees were going crazy busy during the lunchtime period of the day at his farm. I always consider February the danger month for us with our beekeeping. Cold weather, low stores and dwindling colony size can all lead to challenges for our bees. This warmer weather however just seems unnaturally warm. It's probably not but it just feels that way right now. If it stays mild we could be in for a very early start to the season but you all know how mother nature can be. March could turn horribly cold and make for some very tricky conditions especially if you've had to feed your bees at all. If you've started you will need to continue to feed until the first major nectar flow begins otherwise you risk starving your bees. We're just about to prepare some pollen fondant blocks pollen that we collected last year mixed in with fondant that will warm slightly to allow us to knead the pollen into it like bread dough. As I've said before If you're going to feed fondant or pollen you need to keep it going in until there's a natural supply available for your bees so you need to be prepared. Don't just buy one pack of fondant or one pollen patty. Get enough to see you through into April and if you don't use it all no problem it will keep unopened for a long time. The benefit of fondant is you should prevent starvation if that's an issue for your colony. Pollen has a different effect. Pollen is the primary source of protein for your bees and it's fed in large quantities to the developing larvae as they grow. More pollen means more brood can be sustained and that means colonies can grow faster, all other things being equal, of course, weather, colony size and that kind of thing. Growing a large colony in spring might be exactly what you want to do because you have a plan in place but don't just feed pollen subs because others are doing it. Bigger colonies early in the year can get congested. This can lead to swarming or worse still, the spread of disease when colonies get shut down due to poor spring weather. If you're feeding pollen sub, do it because you have a reason to, not just because you heard other beekeepers saying that they were doing it. Today's main topic is a follow-up on the pests and diseases front. Thankfully, not all pests and diseases are as destructive as the fowl-brood diseases. I guess the most important of all the remaining pests is the Varroa mite. Varroa destructor, an appropriate name if ever there was one. If left unchecked, it will ultimately destroy your colony, for the most part. I know, because it's happened to me several times. But it's not the Varroa by themselves that are doing all of the damage. The Varroa mite acts as a vector. Sciencey word for carrier really, the Varroa mite very often brings with it a range of other diseases that do a lot of the damage, deformed wing virus for instance. That said, a lot of the damage results as a consequence of the life cycle of the Varroa mite. Let me explain. The mites themselves are quite small but easily visible to the beekeeper when inspecting. They measure around one and a half millimetres wide by about one millimetre long. A kind of chestnut brown colour with legs quite visible. These are the female mites. They wander into open cells just as they're about to be sealed and once secure inside the female lays her eggs. The first of which is normally male and then female over a couple of days. The egg's normally around six or seven, hatch into immature mites and of these, generally only two or three will survive to the adult stage. Now here's why they can be so destructive. While inside the cell, these newly hatched mites will feed off the developing pupa, passing on viruses and generally stunting its development. After 21 days for honeybee workers or 24 days for drones, the adult bees emerge releasing the adult varroa into the hive and the cycle continues, but this time with a population increase in varroa. If you have a generally light load of varroa in the spring, you probably won't see much, but they'll be in there increasing their population increasing their numbers over the entire active season. It's when we reach our autumn phase in this active season that you'll probably notice any colonies with very high populations of varroa and at that time it could well be too late for them to recover. What happens in the hive at that time is the queen slows down her egg laying and the area of brood decreases but that coincides with the peak of the Varroa population, meaning there are far more Varroa for the limited work of brood cells being produced. What might have been one or two iffy looking cells in the summer suddenly becomes many hundreds and the beekeeper suddenly sees them and is surprised by it. If you're checking all summer long, you'll spot the Varroa and can do something about it earlier and help the colony survive. It's why I recommend disease inspections all the way through the active season. There are lots of opportunities to reduce the varroa population within a colony and really for me that's all I'm seeking to do. The reality is our hives are visited by drones from other colonies regularly, particularly in the early part of the season, and these may well be carrying varroa on their backs. So don't ever think that you've removed all of the varroa. Think of it in a similar way to getting an MOT for a car for instance. It might be fine on the day of the MOT but something could be wrong the second you drive the car away from the MOT testing station and it's just like that for our beehives. You turn your back, a drone laden with varroa pops in and the battle continues. So reducing varroa populations and there are of course so many ways to do this is a really good way of keeping your bees in good health. There are the obvious chemical routes, thymol, amitraz, oxalic acid, formic acid, all very effective at killing varroa, but there are other methods too that don't involve chemicals. Drone brood removal is probably the easiest. Queen trapping is another method, not quite as easy, but effective nonetheless. We've tried most methods over the years and we're still trying to find that perfect combination if in fact there is such a thing. Winter oxalic acid treatments work really well when there is a broodless period but you have to be sure your timing is right if you're only treating once. Drone brood removal is also a very effective weapon in our armoury and one we use regularly. In an urgent situation a shook swarm treatment is also a really effective way of dropping Varroa population numbers massively. Just bear in mind that whatever method you use there's always the need to remain vigilant and be ready for the next Varroa population boom. The bottom line is well-managed colonies are unlikely to struggle too much if those Varroa populations are controlled either by the bees themselves or by the beekeeper. I'm not entirely sure I would want to leave my bees to see whether they can cope or not without my intervention. I suspect I would lose too many colonies Thinking in terms of the minor brood issues we generally think of four different types chilled brood, bald brood, sack brood and chalk brood. Chilled brood is most likely to happen around late winter and into spring sometimes caused by over eager beekeepers but sometimes just a natural consequence of a colony growing fast in warm late winter conditions before getting hit by a very cold spell not unlike the beast from the east that we endured a few years ago. So what's happening? Well, late winter is when colonies tend to grow fast in preparation for the spring push into reproductive mode, swarming to you and I. Colonies build up brood as the weather warms up, but the number of workers remaining after that winter period is relatively small and it takes a lot of effort to maintain the correct brood nest temperature for larval development. If the temperature falls dramatically for any reason, the brood towards the outer edge of the brood nest becomes at risk of that hypothermic shock and of dying. It happens because falling temperatures within the brood nest area will cause the worker bees to cluster again and an insufficient number of workers will leave that outer edge of the brood nest at risk. So how can you tell if this is in fact what's happened to your colony? Well, it's most likely to happen to the outer frames where the brood nest starts. This could be on both sides of the brood nest, of course. When you inspect and get to the first frame of brood, you might see a patch of dead brood in that frame. Of course, depending on the timing of that inspection and the severity of the chilled brood, it may well have been cleaned out by the bees themselves, and you'll never know it was there. Prevention is always better than the cure, so don't go into your hives too soon in the spring and when you do go into them, make it a very quick inspection and don't dally around trying to find the queen. You don't want to chill that brood nest area beyond the point at which the bees can recover that temperature quickly. Bald brood shows itself as patches of open cells with maturing larvae inside that you would think ought to be capped over often found in areas of otherwise sealed brood and most likely caused by the lesser wax moth. Very different to the long single trails of the greater wax moth. Again, not really a big problem and simple enough to check if you don't see the wax moth larvae straight away. Again, wait for warmer weather. I like to shake the bees off the frame and then holding the frame horizontally with the bald brood facing upwards. Use your hive tool to tap the side of the frame you'll very often see the lesser wax moth larvae wriggle out of the cell where you can pinch it out. The same trick can be performed with the greater wax moth larvae and it's a fun trick to show your beekeeping buddies. Not a great deal of harm will come to the bees with either chilled brood or bald brood as long as the colony can build up its numbers and strength nicely in the sp- sack brood is different in that it's a virus more specifically known as a single strand RNA virus, it infects colonies the world over. It mainly affects young larvae and is passed to them from nurse bees during the feeding process. The effect of the virus is to make the larvae's endocuticle, its casing or skin if you like, it makes it leathery and the larvae die forming the familiar sack brood shape with the pointed tip of the larvae curling slightly upwards within the cell. It's thought that changing temperature conditions can adversely affect colonies with sack brood, making it more likely to spread, and so it won't come as any surprise to hear that spring is the likeliest period in the season that you might see this problem. Sack brood is easily transmitted from hive to hive by robbing and drifting, so from a beekeeper's perspective shut down dead-out colonies quickly and remove them, and don't line up all of your hives in a neat straight line to allow drifting to easily occur from hive to hive. Most colonies seem to deal with it on their own accord, but in some heavily infected colonies a shook swarm might be of use. The problem being that the virus is passed on by adult bees to larvae, so any break in brood production might help the colony shake it off. Finally today, chalk brood. You might have seen my chalk brood videos on YouTube and Patreon. We've had some very heavy infestations in the past and it can be quite damaging. Chalk brood is a fungal infection with the Latin name Ascosphaera apis. Spores from chalk brood are ingested by the larvae where it takes hold resulting ultimately in those hard grey or white lumps that are easily recognised as chalk brood and give it its name. Again, in small amounts it poses little threat to the colony, but where it does take hold it can wipe out an entire hive. Again, good husbandry practices will reduce spreading to other colonies, and I've often found a shook swarm and replacement queen will allow the adult bees remaining to recover and grow in time for the summer flow. All of these pests and diseases can be dealt with by the bees and beekeeper to ensure a healthy colony develops and grows, providing both bees and beekeeper with a crop of honey. I'll catch up with you all again in a week's time, hopefully having shaken off this Covid bug, and don't forget to check out my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques it's the same Patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet.